There's something about that song that makes me want to dance. If I wouldn't pull a muscle, I might try to do that. If you would remain standing, please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. This, it's on page uh, 1013, I believe, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church. We're going to look at verses uh, 10 and 11 this morning, but I'm going to start back at verse 7, for this is really a, really a, a, a connected thought uh, that we're looking at last week and now this week. Uh, so James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7, reading down through verse 11. This is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits uh, for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's a gift that we could hold it and read it and hear a message from it. So help us, Father. Or your word is not only true, it's living. It's able to perform a work in our souls even as we gather before it and under it this morning. And so we would pray for the presence of your spirit aiding us so that we hear from you and so that we are transformed by you. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week... We looked from verses 7, 8, and 9, something of the the combination of of, of patience amid suffering. In light of the return of Christ, in the meantime, what do we do? We wait. We wait patiently for the Lord. Even when the heat gets kicked up and affliction surrounds us and suffering assaults us even when we are being wronged at the hands of others. The call was for patience amid our suffering. This morning, as we add to that verses 10 and 11, in a sense we see the first part of verse 10 providing the summary statement of where we've been in verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, what we see added to the conversation from last week is now this morning, 
a, a new word is introduced to us, uh, a word that comes alongside the call for waiting patiently and patience in our waiting for the return of the Lord, and that is the word steadfastness. It's used twice in verse 11. As an example of the suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And he goes right into the second usage of steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So this morning, we take what we've built upon from last week, the, the call to wait for the Lord patiently, and we couple that now with the call to wait patiently with a sense of steadfastness, a sense of, if you would, endurance. Two things I want us to note from this passage, verses 10 and 11, about this endurance, our steadfastness. First of all, we want to consider uh, two lives. Well, I say two lives. The first life is a group, the prophets, the, the, the lives of the prophets. And then the second life that we will consider is the life of Job. But, but coupled with that, as we consider the lives of the prophets and the life of Job, in each of the stated examples that are given to us, there are lessons for us to learn um, from those teachers, if you would, the prophets and from Job, as it pertains to the importance of steadfastness in our lives. And so what I want to do while I'm going to look at two points, I'm going to do that in four movements, if you would. I'm going to look at the, the lives of the prophets briefly and consider something of the lesson we learn from the steadfastness of the prophets, and then we're going to go back and look, and look for a moment at the life of Job and take what James wants us to learn about steadfastness from the life of Job. So first point, second point, first point, second point, if that's, if that's doable. First of all, the, the prophets. The first thing I, that would, I'm just amazed at with the prophets is he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. If there ever was a collective group whose lives were noted for enduring suffering, it would be the prophets themselves. Our Lord referred to the prophets as men of great suffering. Even uh, Stephen, as he was uh, about to experience great suffering, as a part of his message that, that provided such the, such the dust-up, if you would, alludes to the, the, the lives of suffering. In, indeed, both our Lord and Stephen and others make note of the very martyrdom that it was commonly noted as the normative path for the prophets. They spoke the word of God, and therein was the source of their troubles. In other words, these were guys who experienced suffering and trial and affliction and even death, not because they, quote-unquote, done wrong and had it coming to them. This, is, this was not payback for crimes committed. No, these, 
fact, just the opposite. They were suffering not because of their disloyalty to God. They were suffering because of their loyalty to God, their loyalty that was expressed in their courage to faithfully speak the word of God. They suffered not for wrongdoing, but they explicitly suffered for doing what is right. That's important to grasp because sometimes, well, sometimes we suffer because it's the, it's the natural built-in consequences of the choices that we have made. Uh, we, we are reaping what we sow, and yet that doesn't explain every ounce of suffering in people's lives, and we would be mindful of that. Just because someone gets sick, just because someone goes through a rough patch, just because someone faces obstacles in lives in their life, it's not because of that they had done wrong and God's getting them now. Uh, we'll see that certainly with Job as well, but that is, that is true for all of the prophets. And I always say prophets, I obviously mean all of the prophets that were faithful to the Lord. All of the prophets who didn't make up their own message and shoot from their own hip, but that the, the prophets who were called by God and who courageously spoke God's word. Uh, the apostle Peter makes a clear distinction between these kinds of suffering, what we might call just and unjust suffering. Uh, Peter alludes to the fact that uh, sometimes we suffer in life because, well, We've done wrong. But, but Peter encourages believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to remain faithful amid suffering, to be patient, to remain steadfast, to uh, endure the sufferings and hardships because of the cause of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now it makes it go. But now, but now not, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify in that name. Peter talks about rejoicing because of the blessed state of suffering for doing what is right. It, and, and that so captures the gist of the lives of the prophets. These were men who suffered for doing what was right. These were men who suffered because of their faithfulness to the Lord. And James notes them. James marks them as those who are counted and who ought to be considered blessed. God's favor was upon them. God's approval was upon them. Could I be so bold to even throw it out there? God's smile was upon them. God's blessings was upon them. Not God's curse, 
But God's blessing, honor, was being bestowed upon them as they remained steadfast. I would suggest to you that part of the of the very means by which they were able to persevere and remain steadfast and endure the mistreatment, the wrong mistreatment that they experienced was that they themselves knew, I am doing what God has asked me to do. I am in the very place that God has planted me. I am faithful to all that God has called me to do. God's approval, God's favor, God's smile is upon me. And knowing that, being a, having that sense of that reality upon their soul is what energized them to endure patiently wait to remain steadfast. Well, bumping that out just a little bit, let me just throw it out there. So why, or even maybe how, is staying steadfast amid suffering a blessed status? Well, the scriptures give us some backstory here, and in fact, James has already given it to us. While James is pretty near done with his book, he gave us the answer to why and how remaining steadfast amid suffering it puts us in such a blessed state. I would suggest to you that the blessed state is not simply a future prospect, although it is, but a blessed state is also uh, something that could be grasped and known at the moment. See, James is, this is not the first time that James has used the word steadfast. In chapter one, you can turn with me if you want there and take a peek at it. In chapter one, just as he gets started with his book, he, he blurts out uh, this notion of steadfastness. He says in verse uh, two, of James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces, here's the word, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. How or why is maintaining steadfastness amidst our suffering, uh, such a status of being blessed or of, of, of a blessed state because of what it accomplishes even right here and right now. When you and I remain steadfast amidst our suffering, we are, if you would, in sync with, we are in cooperation with the grand purposes of God to accomplish something in our lives. In other words, steadfastness is an integral part of the developmental puzzle to our lives. What I mean by that is this. When you and I remain steadfast amid our suffering, when we endure our sufferings, then we are participating in God's design to develop us morally. How, does human, how is human character 
formed. Human character is formed as it is forged through suffering. As we remain steadfast in suffering. That's where he says, then let steadfastness have its full effect. It's accomplishing something. It's a part of the blessed state of God because God's blessing upon us translates into God wants to mature us and develop us. He wants us to cultivate virtue and character in our lives. And yet there's no easy path to that character and virtue and moral development in our lives. When God wants to produce something in us, he surrounds us with the likes of you or me. <laughs> you never thought of me as an important component of your uh, an important component of your personal growth and sanctification in Christ likeness. I'm here to help. I mean, what do you do with me? Endure me. What do we do with each other? We endure each other. For it is in that mechanism of endurance that God is working, producing something in us. When we go through suffering, we instantly pray, Lord, change my circumstances. Get that person out of my life. Take that person away from me. Take that illness away from me. Take that difficulty away from me. And all of those can be permitted prayer requests, but, 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 but maybe God's designs are totally different than that. Maybe God isn't trying to take anything away from us externally. Maybe he's trying to develop something in us internally. We see it and we're like, blessed? I'm thinking, I'm thinking a vacation on the beach is blessed. I'm thinking a a trip to wonderful sightseeing destinations is blessed. I'm not thinking staying here with you is blessed. But God says, no, I, you're right where I planted you. My blessing is upon you. My favor is upon you. I'm smiling right now. Not smiling because I'm a smart aleck, like to see you go through hardship, but smiling because my love, my loving hand is upon you. And I have placed you in a situation that requires steadfastness, endurance. Because that's my curriculum for how I'm going to develop you into the person that I want you to become. We need to hear this in our culture. We, we have a hard time developing a category of how or why would life be unpleasant and hard and difficult. We don't have the categories to, to make sense of unpleasantries in life. We think, why would God want me to stay in this difficult job arrangement? Why, why, why would God want me to remain in this unhappy marriage? Why, why would God want me to be stuck with these kids who are driving me crazy? Because he's up to something. He's producing something in us. 
And so he can say to us, I, this is right where I've put you. Just stay put. Just remain steadfast. Patiently wait. Because when you patiently wait, when you endure, then that unleashes my ability to accomplish something with you in terms of your virtue and your character and your moral development. It's a blessed state to be in the developmental processes of God's spiritual purposes in our lives. So something of the lives of the prophets, something of a lesson of the prophets. Now let's consider Job. He says there back in chapter 5, um, uh, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I hope you've heard of it because I don't have time to tell you the story uh, of, of Job. Uh, but um, uh, what we can say briefly about Job is he's another individual that the scriptures describe to us who went through horrendous suffering and affliction and trial. And, and, and similar to the prophets, he experienced those things not because he's reaping what he's sowed. We're told in the very first chapter of the book of Job um, that Job was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. In other words, this was a man whose character uh, was perfect by human standards at least, relative. Only the Lord is perfect, but, but, but we are hard-pressed to find the, a lot of the bad stuff, if you would, on Job. And, and, yet, and yet, the whole bottom of his life dropped out, and he went through experiencing great loss personally, all of his stuff, all of his children, all of his possessions. And then another round, he went through the loss of his very health. He didn't, he didn't die, but but he went through excruciating pain and affliction upon his body. And it says here, in considering Job, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Whereas the prophets spoke the word of the Lord, that's a lesson we can help take away from them. In the example of Job, we see how Job's life is played out and we see the purpose, I think maybe a better nuanced word here would be the outcome of the Lord in Job's life, i.e. that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, if we were to read much of the book of Job, Job's life was a struggle, and Job struggled to make sense of the purpose, the outcome of all of this torment and physical suffering and, and struggle that he went through, and, and, and Job struggled to understand it. It didn't fully make sense to him. His friends were no help. They just had a, a, a one dimensional answer to Job's suffering. They, they assumed that people who suffer, are, it's because they got what's coming to them. They're sinners. And so Job's suffering big time. He, he must be hiding some big sin. And so his friends just constantly piled on him and just said, look, Job, you're sinning before God. And just admit it, come clean, and, 
and the heavy hand of God will be taken off of you. You won't go through all of this hassle, but if his friends didn't know, in fact, the problem is Job didn't even know that there was a whole other thing in play here. This was not about Job's unrighteous life and Job getting what's coming to him. This was about the Lord making a strong display of his goodness and his wisdom. He, Job lamented deeply to the Lord, and yet, here's the clue. He never turned away from the Lord. Even the, even the, the gloomy, I think, beautiful song that we just sang before, we, before the sermon, it's such a model for us. There is a miles difference between grumbling and complaining against the Lord and taking our struggles and our confusions, i.e. even our grumblings and complaints, and bringing them to the Lord. Job had his grumblings and his complaints, if you would. Job struggled to make sense. His mind was swirling in every direction possible. None of this added up to him, and, and, and yet he did not turn from the Lord. It drove him deeper to make and plead his case to the Lord. When our minds are swirling to make sense of the unraveling of our lives, the difficulties of our lives, the, the trials and the struggles of our lives. Let's consider the steadfastness of Job. He didn't understand what was happening, but he kept turning to the one whom he was convinced did understand what was happening. It is always good and right, even if it's in the form of a complaint or, or, or what I would think a better word in that nuanced sense is a lament to take it to the Lord. Job would even say, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Job knew that, Job knew, not Job, 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 not, this is not Job, Job, Job knew that even if the Lord should take his life, he would be raised from the dead and see the Lord again with his eyes. There's a man of great faith in the midst of great affliction. It's the steadfastness of Job. There will be things that will happen in our lives, maybe not to the degree that, has, that, that Job experienced, but there will be things that happen in our lives that do not add up, that do not make sense, that we're not according to the plan that we had sketched out, that does not fit the normative pattern of, of enjoying the goodness of God in this life is in those moments when we fear that even God himself has struck us and hurt us that we must turn to God and not turn away from God. 
you see, vital to such a a notion of endurance. What Job teaches us is if we endure, if we remain steadfast amid our affliction, amid the affliction that makes no sense at all to us, but we keep turning to the Lord, the Lord who is at that moment confusing us, but we keep turning to the Lord and keep pressing in on the Lord, then the outcome of that suffering will be that we will know and realize and see something of the goodness of God that we had not ever had a faint notion of prior to that affliction. So he says, he says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose or the outcome of the Lord. I think in this case it means in Job's life um, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Through endurance, Job was able to grasp and see that God is compassionate and merciful. Now, if you would have called on Job before the bottom fell out of his life and you'd say, Job, tell me about God, I would, I would suggest to you that he would have, among other descriptions, he would have said, oh, the Lord God is one. The Lord God is a gracious and compassionate and merciful God. But what I'm suggesting to you, that what Job knew prior to his suffering about the compassion and mercy of God was just a faint flicker of knowledge to what he knew on the back end of his suffering and affliction. By enduring, by by remaining steadfast amid that affliction, Job was able to realize that he didn't know the half of it. He knew something about God's compassion and mercy. He could have answered that on a quest, a quest, a quiz to, uh, uh, from us. He could have answered uh, uh, that as a question from us. But how he would say it in chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, uh, uh, I have heard of the Lord, but now I know the Lord. I would suggest to you that the language of compassion and mercy accentuates and coalesces around a particular reality concerning the God who made us. And that is, in his Son, all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, this God who made us, who made all things, is not just a uh, a broad-based generic God. Oh, he, he is something quite specific to us. He is Father. And there ought to be nothing quite like Father that is drenched with compassion and mercy. You say, well, my Father wasn't like that, but your Heavenly Father is like that. He is good dad. He is a dad who might be strict. 
He is a dad who has law and rule. A heavenly father is that kind of dad. But he is a dad who is rich in mercy, who is abundant in compassion. He is a God who, uh, whose heart emotionally goes out to us when he sees his children in affliction. In other words, he didn't observe the sufferings of Job dispassionately. Even part of the arrival of Jesus taking on flesh and coming to this earth is that he would be a sympathetic high priest who would know of our sufferings, not just because he's God and knows everything, but because he would experience our sufferings. He is a compassionate Savior, and his Father is a compassionate Father. When you and I endure, when we remain steadfast, when we realize that the hand of God is upon us, he has placed us right where he wants us to be, and he wants us to remain steadfast in that scenario, that situation, that reality, then he is not only developing our moral character, but he's also widening our eyes and expanding our understanding so that we begin to see even more clearly that he is far more compassionate than we had a category for. He has far more mercy than I ever realized he was capable of. So how do we endure? Because it seems like there's a lot at stake about enduring. Without endurance and steadfastness, we won't develop morally. Without endurance and steadfastness, we won't see more fully the compassion and mercy of our heavenly father. So how do we remain steadfast? How do we endure? Somebody has already gone on in front of us. Someone has done this already. And the way we endure is not by pulling our endurance self up by our own endurance bootstraps. The way that we endure, in the words of the writer of Hebrews, let us with endurance run the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the cross, who uh, for for with joy for the cross set for with joy who had set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. How do we endure? We keep our eyes on the one who has already perfectly endured. We look to Jesus right now. We look to Jesus this day. We look to Jesus this week. We look to Jesus tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that and the month after that and the year after that. We, we keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured, for it is in looking to Jesus that our hearts do not grow weary, do not faint. We are able to run with endurance the race that is set out for us. So, Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his endurance. 
We thank you for the grace that he gives to us by the very indwelling presence of his spirit in all all who belong to him, a spirit that enables us to endure the same way that Jesus endured. For the same spirit that enabled Jesus to endure now indwells us. Thank you, Father. May we see your wonderful hand in our lives, not only in the pleasantries, but in the difficulties. For we pray this in Christ's name.